Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the globe. Tonight we continue our series, excuse me, we continue our series on the system, the pitfalls of this system that is rampant across this nation. Namely here, we'll be dealing with a Colorado case, uh, federal, we'll touch a little bit of the federal case regarding the IRP-5, as well as the Pillar 4. We'll deal with all of that tonight. Hang on to your seat, folks. This is AJC Radio. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Sampson Riddle, William Williams, Clint Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and our new added addition to our show, Tanique Wright. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, this is, again, we're in the trenches here. We've been talking about this for the last uh, few weeks in regards to the system. And someone may ask the question, well, what is, are you talking about the criminal justice system? No justice exists. Let me say that again. There is no justice within a system as corrupt as the system in this country. Samson, give me your thoughts on that as we go down this road. Well, I think it's very important that we actually get this and continue to talk about this subject because, I mean, we, everybody at this, this table has experienced it in one way, shape, form, or fashion. And the fact of the matter is, is that, I mean, it's corrupt from the DA's office to – uh, the judges bent. I mean, they, all throughout the system, it is it is corrupt down to its core. And the fact of the matter is, if we don't continue to speak out against it, if we don't continue to expose it, then there's going to be no change. And so that we're going to we're going to actually, you know, go up our own personal experiences. It's not an opinion. Like this is stuff that we've all sat through in one way, shape, form, or fashion. So it's like we need to get this out and get people actually disturbed about what's going on, so that again they can institute change in their own area. No, absolutely, Dave Zapolo. When you look at the system. The system is biased from the start. I mean, I just read an article this week. In a, a black attorney was denied entrance into a courtroom because they said they the, the deputy said, "Well, you're a defendant. You have to stay out here." She said there was no reason for him to think that. She was even carrying all the binders, and he stopped her. We've seen that in our own case when we were walking into the courtroom one day. The, the deputy thought I was the attorney because I was with a bunch of black men. There was no reason for him to think that. And we had been going in there for days. So you look at that, and if the bias is at the front door, the bias moves into the courtroom, to the judge, to the jury. The jury looks at uh, uh, somebody sitting at the defendant's table, they're automatically guilty. So you have to have a systematic change in this system if we want to have any uh, justice out there at all. Absolutely right. Today, your thoughts? <clears throat> My mic wasn't on. My apologies. I agree with a lot of what the <laughs> guys have said, that our justice system has a lot of corruption, and unfortunately, it's everywhere. And I'm glad that uh, we'll be exposing some of that tonight. Well, without question, uh, Dennis, welcome back. Uh, you, you've been on a hiatus for a minute. <laughs> Give me your thoughts on what's 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 what this situation. Let's do it. To all of our listeners, and I'll preface this to you, Dennis. Look, this type of in, see injustice anywhere is a problem. Yes. But 
Martin Luther King made the statement. He said, injustice anywhere, it's a small corner, rural town, is injustice everywhere because it is a spreading cancer. That's what it is. And I agree. Racism is alive and well in this country. Very much so. Uh, those are things that we uh, those are things that we actually have to deal with. Give me your thoughts, Dennis. We've, we've we've seen it in the military now. We've seen it in courtrooms with judges. We've seen it with attorneys, district attorneys, prosecutors. It's it's everywhere you look. And the problem is there's no accountability. That's the biggest problem of it all. I mean, when when you do find this and you address it and it's proven to be real, there's no consequence. And until these yep. judges and these prosecutors pay the price for being biased, for being racist, they're, con- they're going to continue to do so. And for people to be in this mindset that, oh, man, we got the best system in the world when a black guy gets 45 to 50 years for a conviction, when his white counterparts, they walk out with five. If, if that. If that or probation. That is a problem. And you can say it all day. Oh, we're not that bad. Turn black. Walk out your front door as a black woman, a black man, tomorrow morning. And get on the highway and think, how will you be treated as an African-American versus a white person? Don't run now. They say, do what the police say. They'll just empty six bullets in your back. That's true. Now, we'll empty the clip on you. Just do what you, do what the law says. I'm just going to, matter of fact, walk away, and we'll still put six bullets in your back. This is the issue. The IRP-5, go into a courtroom, innocent of all charges, no criminal history, no criminal record. They walk in, evidence, overwhelming evidence of innocence. They get convicted. Why? That is the system and the corruption of the system. The pillar four, walk into a courtroom. They're there to defend a defense of church property. Nobody's, nobody's armed. Nobody has a weapon. There's a truck parked outside to protect the, the furniture, $20,000 of furniture belonging to the church. Intent, the intent was clear. We're here to get furniture. There's a truck right there. Intent, we knocked on the door. Intent, a locksmith changes the lock, and you, Mr. Nick Gaynor, does nothing. You know why? It's not his place. That's why he didn't argue with the locksmith. It's not his apartment. If anybody comes up into your house right now, Dennis, anybody walks to your front doors and you see them changing your lock, what's the, what's the response? Oh, that's a problem. That's a problem. But you're going to ask yeah. this guy, man, what are you doing? Exactly. That's, that's anybody at this table. Nothing was said to the locksmith by Mr. Nick Dane. Because you know why? He knew already. You invite them in. You have a conversation. You're told this is church property. 
you've chosen to choose not to remain in the church. Well, the program doesn't come without the church. You know this because you were told this from the very beginning. Justice? It does not exist. David. Well, I think what people need to take into account is the system is ran by men. And men are fallible. Men have agendas. Uh, men do things for their friends. It's really a closed society, uh, the, the system. I said you can't put justice on it because people tend to put this blind trust in judges because they wear a black robe and they have a law degree. Uh, and attorneys, they, they seem to just bolster them up because of, of what they think a judge or a prosecutor should be. But they're as human as any guy that breaks the law out there. Many of them actually can get away with breaking the law because there's really no system uh, to hold them accountable so they can skirt the law and do various things. So until you go through, the, through this system, you really don't have an idea of what's going on. Judges are as much uh, susceptible to corruption and prosecutors as well, to any other person in this country. Now, I'll say one one final thing. Just think about it. You always hear about police misconduct. On a regular basis, people are reporting police. But have you ever heard of a federal judge being uh, sanctioned for misconduct because he's accused of somebody, accused of it from some citizen or some defendant? Never. It never happens. So, in other words, judges are just, they don't do this sort of stuff, but police officers do. Other people do, but judges and prosecutors, they don't do this kind of stuff. They're but beyond uh, being human and, and, and subject to, uh, to their own, own devices. So just think about that for a minute and realize that there's a lot more corruption the higher levels you go in this government and in this system. No, that's without question. And I'll tell you right now, folks, uh, one judge we know that does not have a moral at least a moral character flaw. His name is Judge Bain. A week ago in El Paso County, the judge categorized and described the characteristics of the four pillars. Now, what is a pillar? I think we had that last week. We're going to get that for you on the other side of the break. But guess what? Four pillars were done wrong by this system. It's the pillars of the community are targets and cannot escape the bias of this system. We're in trouble. Ladies and gentlemen, call in tonight. I'd like to hear from all of you that have thoughts on this. 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. Tonight, AJC Radio takes off the scab of injustice. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? 
If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a lot. stroke after being forgotten in a vehicle in 70 degree weather it takes only minutes for the inside of a car to heat up like an oven at 104 degrees heat stroke begins followed by loss of consciousness yeah. an hour and a half or so Kids in Cars. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add you to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration, historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom, 
of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. That's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration has diminished school achievement, they have behavioural problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. And there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we again go down this road and take this journey about a corrupt system that has taken over the United States in a very big way. You say, well, what system is that? It used to be called the criminal justice system. The problem is justice has been removed due to the corruption that has taken hold of this nation. Uh, we're going to deal with that. I, I'd love to hear from our, our listeners across the country. 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. As we go down this path, uh, it is critically important that we understand as we get begin to talk about the IRP-5, uh, we begin to talk about this uh, system here in the state of Colorado Um is absolutely insane. And I want to say that definitely in the place as well 
to know that Judge Bain, uh, El Paso County Court Judge, Chief Judge, made a statement and made a statement large a week or so ago regarding the Pillar Four, who they're known as now, based upon the judge's words uh, in regards to these men being pillars of their community. Uh, and that speaks volumes. Um, Dave, how important is it when a judge speaks, they say people listen. When a chief judge speaks, it speaks tons of volumes. Give me your thoughts. When you see this, especially when it's a good judge and they're somebody that knows what they're talking about, you have an opportunity to change people's minds. So when this Judge Bain said that these men were pillars of the community, you had a situation where he is saying that these men shouldn't even be here. They're out there. They're doing good works in the community. They're helping the community. And we had an injustice performed here. And we need to make a change. Well, and I think I think you have to uh, align that with the fact that um, how do these men who do nothing but good in the community reconcile that with the fact that, well, how are they charged with the crime? These these two things don't uh, just don't add up. And so when he's recognized, these men go out and do good. And honestly, they, they had done good to the individual, Nick Gaynor, by helping him get a car, giving him a car. But yet they're going to come and start committing crimes against the same people they just extended a hand of kindness to that's inconsistent with everything and so now you have to turn your your eyes and thoughts toward the motivations of the police and the prosecutors in this case and ask them why did you do this uh because if you look at the actual facts the facts none of the stuff that they say adds up and it goes to show you it doesn't have to add up. This, if you, uh, like you said last week, if you can indict a ham sandwich, you can clearly uh, convict innocent men uh, of of crime. Well, here's the, here's one point, and we're coming to you guys uh, and ladies. Look, Kelsey Tibbs, the ADA uh, in this case, assistant district attorney, made this statement coming into the courtroom. We have to shut this church down. I want you to think about that for a minute. An officer of the court attacks a pillar of the community and makes the statement, we have to shut this church down. That goes to the motive of this prosecutor. Had nothing to do with the the, the pillar four. Had nothing to do with it. Because if you did, we would have heard, that's the last thing we would have heard. We would have heard a compelling argument that the pillar four committed a crime that was never heard because no crime was ever committed. And the target, again, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. That's a disgrace. It should not be. And William... I'm sure when you hear that, how do you go and attack a church 
who is the pillar of this community for over 44 years. We don't have the books that will hold the good that was done in this community to law enforcement, to every type of outreach you can imagine, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church has attached their name to. Well, let, let, let me let me touch on that. We had, a, we had a show. We talked about the outreach program that the church had done for law enforcement. Let's just focus on law enforcement. Now, you had, you had four divisions here in, in Colorado Springs. We were there taking breakfast to them during the shift changes, sat down with the officers, talked to them. I was there firsthand over here in Sand Creek, and they enjoyed it so much. You know, the, the officers were sitting there talking to us. They were talking about basically how they were being alienated by the community. Now, this was before the, you know, the, the incidents we saw with Michael Brown and Jameer Rice and all this stuff. They were still feeling that way, but we took it, took breakfast to them. Then there was, I think it was around 250 plus sheriff's officers, officers, excuse me, that we took food and fed them. So, and then you mentioned last week on the show how uh, Chief Elder had reached out, or we'd reached out to them and had the uh, let's talk here at the church. You know, bridging the gap between the African American community and police officers. How could we do this? Addressing this. So the church was well known to law enforcement. And the outreach that was done. These people, these officers would come up to us later on. Oh, I remember you guys. Thank you again so much for the breakfast. Thank you so much for thinking about us. So this is such, so this is a history. And then we also were known with fire department as well and ambulance and other things. Many things the church has done to reach out in the community to be a pillar. So when you talk about this, this district attorney saying, Oh, we got to shut this church down. Unbelievable. I mean, how do you take that tone? How do you look at that and say, I mean, with any kind of decency, any kind of morality, and you say, and you realize, okay, just stop. Those things are out the window. There's no decency and morality there. This is a known entity. This is a good organization that's reaching out into the community, and you – are trying to target them. I mean, well, just call it what it is. It, you tar- you, uh, once you say that, you're, you've just said, we, I am targeting them. We need to shut them down. As if we've done something wrong. Well, I got news for you. You're not shutting Colorado Springs Fellowship down. Not even. That's it. Let's just make that clear. Uh, a pillar. I'd like a person to go out where construction is and try to kick a pillar down. I got news for you. It's not going. You're going to have a problem. So, Nick, you came across something exactly what the definition. I'm going to use it. And, again, this is, we quote Judge Bain. His words. A pillar. These men were pillars of the community. It's, Let's reiterate that. Go ahead. Okay. It says if you describe someone as a pillar of society or as a pillar of the community, you approve of them because they play an important and active part in society and in the community. Some synonyms are they're a supporter, they're a leader, they're a rock, and then another definition, they were saying it's a person who's uh, important to the community, somebody who is well-respected, who's upstanding. So that doesn't go with criminals. That's that's two opposite sides of the spectrum. What's two opposite sides of the law? Well, and that's why... that's Go ahead, I'm sorry. I'll come right back to you. It's two opposite sides of the law. 
a chief judge who has seen every type of makeup in his courtroom over the course of his career. He said, I've never seen defendants like you in my courtroom. The chief judge. Not somebody that just came out of law school and made an assessment. The chief judge. Namely, Chief Judge Bay. There's something wrong with this picture. In the history of being an advocate, going into courtrooms, listening to judges speak, as a just cause does, I've never heard it, ever, from a judge. I've never heard that language, especially for the convicted. That tells you the conviction cannot stand. Cannot stand. Yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> Mom, wait, wait, it goes to what you were saying there, too, as far as, like, um, when the judge was actually speaking to the Pillar 4, he was talking about how, you know, man, you guys seem like you're out just doing good all the time. You're doing this, you're doing that. He was toting their accolades on the record. And then he said, even to the point of where he was going to sentence them, he's like, well, I can't really sentence you guys to community service because, first of all, it's usually used as a corrective thing for people so they'll feel some kind of remorse or they'll feel like they're giving back. He's like, but you guys already do that in your free time. You volunteer your free time to go out in the community. And he used the, you know, the video of, of uh, Matt Brown giving the car to Nick Gaynor. Uh, just as an example, you know, that that I mean, this speaks volumes of who these men really are. So the fact that they were targeted, you know, uh, by proxy, you know, by the DA's office, you know, as basically standing in for the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. I mean, it, again, it just goes to show the motive of the, the, the corrupt uh, DA and, the, in my opinion, the entirety of the office. I mean, uh, go ahead. No, no, two, two words. Uh, Snap said, uh, Kelsey Tibbs. Uh, is no longer a 80 well she's not on the, she wasn't she didn't finish out this case uh with sentencing but her words echo through the halls of that court of that court those are words that should never be spoken by those that have been entrusted with the trust of the community and whoever hears that in my opinion she crossed the line of law it is misconduct at its highest level, and something should be done about it. You cannot loosely attack a church. The church is not on trial, but you attack the church. The question is why? It's personal. It's bias. It's a mess is what it is. And I'll tell you right now, folks. If it happened here, it can happen where you live. Someone has to speak up and speak out against these type of issues. We're going to take a very, very quick break. We're going to come back and talk to David Banks, Clinton Stewart, Dave Zapolo, Kendrick Barnes, Demetrius Harper, one of those of the IRP5. And we're going to dig into what are the comparisons of corruption? They are identical in many cases. The injustice, the prosecutors, the judge, all line in line to inject toxic injustice into the lives of these men. We're not done with the pillow four. We're gonna we're gonna put them side by side. 
and take another look. Feel free to call in, folks, to the show, 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628 will get your thoughts on such an outrageous system. And here's the kicker. It's costing lives in large numbers. This is ADC Radio. We'll be right back. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bumps every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters, our wives, and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught, you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Operator 901, where's the emergency? 127, bring there. Okay, what's going on there? I'd like to order a pizza for delivery. Ma'am, you've reached 911. This is an emergency line. Uh, large with half pepperoni, half mushroom? Um, you know you've called 911. This is an emergency line. Do you know how long it'll be? Okay, ma'am, is everything okay over there? Do you have an emergency or not? Yes. And you're unable to talk because... Right, right. Okay, is there someone in the room with you? Just say yes or no. Yes. Okay, um, it looks like I have an officer about a mile from your location. Are there any weapons in your house? No. Can you stay on the phone with me? No. Uh, See you soon. Thank you. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. 
By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. I wanted to be in the military since I was a, since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we have had an opportunity, really, as we're getting into this show, uh, we're going to get into it even deeper now. I do want to talk about the Senate thing uh, that concluded, David, this case uh, uh, with uh, Tori Lopez, and we're going to hopefully have him online, uh, as well as the deal that was made, David, with uh, Cliff Stewart and, and Tori Lopez. Uh, there was some action taken here. Uh, to end this thing. Uh, give us your thoughts on that. Well, you have to look at the overall. It shows you the uh, the attitude and the overall arrogance and hubris of prosecutors. Now, they offered a plea deal. Uh, mind you that they know the men didn't commit a crime, but they don't want to ever leave empty-handed because they they like to win cases and at least get a pound of flesh for anything they do, whether it's uh, wrong, so they at least get some sort of notch on their belt. That's the overall ethos of a lot of prosecutors. <clears throat> so knowing that the men didn't commit a crime, they offer a plea deal. Obviously, if you committed, if you actually had, if they had actually committed the crimes they were accused of, it would have been a great plea deal, but when you're innocent, no plea deal is a good plea deal. So they went into court, and the judge – was this Judge Bain who oversaw this? Yes. So Judge Bain asked the prosecutor, uh, what about an Alford plea? Could the men do an Alford plea? Alford plea is when you admit guilt saying, well, I didn't commit a crime. I'm just, uh, just uh, going to plead guilty because 
you're not, you're not, you're not, yeah, you're not admitting guilt. You're saying I'm taking this a plea deal without admitting without guilt. without admitting guilt. But yeah. but your 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 reason your 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 rationale is that you didn't commit the crime, but you're going to take the plea anyway. Right. And right. You, you're still innocent, but I'm going to take this plea just to dispose of the case. Correct. When Judge Bain asked the prosecutors, "What about an Alfred plea?" And the prosecutor responded, well, we, we don't want that. We didn't offer him that. So, in other words, we want them to admit to a crime they didn't commit just so we can get a win under our belt uh, instead of going to trial. And this is how the plea, plea system works, is a lot of people plea uh, to avoid the pain and the potential and in this system, you, they plead because nine times out of ten, the prosecutor is going to do something crooked. Uh, juries are already stacked against you, so people just take plea deals. So let me just try to get rid of this, and uh, through as le- through as little pain as possible. That's how the plea system works. It, it has nothing to do with prosecutors obtaining justice. They can get quick wins, and that that was the tragedy in in this case uh, of the the four uh, who the judge called the four pinnacles of. Uh, Colorado Springs, is that they took a plea deal, very light plea deal, just to appease the prosecutor who obviously wasn't concerned about justice or doing the right thing. They just wanted to win. And that's the state of the United States uh, so-called justice system, what we call the system. Well, this is what it says. This is the American Bar Association speaks to uh, the functions and duties of a prosecutor. Uh, it says the primary duty of the prosecutor is to seek justice within the bounds of the law, not merely to convict. The prosecutor serves the public's interest and should act with integrity and balance judgment to increase public safety, both by pursuing appropriate criminal charges or appropriate uh, severity and by exercising discretion to not pursue criminal charges in appropriate circumstances. The prosecutor should seek to protect the innocent and convict the guilty. Consider the interests of victims and witnesses and respect the Constitution and legal rights of all persons, including suspects and defendants. Now, this is what they're saying is the standard. Says the prosecutor is an administrator of justice, a zealous advocate, and an officer of the court. The prosecutor's office should exercise sound discretion and independent judgment in the performance of the prosecution function. This prosecutor's office did not do that in this case. They said before many years ago, I heard that, they don't seek to zealously convict. They are supposed to zealously seek justice. This train left the station a long time ago. Doesn't happen now. It just doesn't exist. We have a caller in queue. Okay, Shantiria, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Your thoughts? Thank you for calling. Yes, no, thank you for having me on the show. So, I was listening to last week and everything that's been going on. And first off, it's both simultaneously incredible, both in the positive and negative sense that 
with what has happened with the situation, had how it's unfolded. I mean, of course, being wrongly, uh, you know, accused of all all these crimes is just crazy. It's it's crazy and incredible in the way that it just should have never happened. Everything has been on record. Everything was, you know, practically transcribed, and everything was just right there in front of, you know, multiple witnesses. And of course, there's people that's just not accounted for. And realistically, the math just doesn't add up. So in the negative sense, that's incredible. But on the positive side, like you had mentioned, you know, both last week and today, that how these men have been able to be represented as pillars within the community. I mean, and by a judge, yes. that speaks so much volume within itself because you can't put criminal and pillar in the same sentence. They are complete opposites. Their lifestyle, their motives, their history, their background, I mean, their character. There is no way that you could tell me that these four men that are criminals, supposed criminals who had stolen, who had, you know, done all these damages to this family that are, you know, obviously wrongful convictions, that you're also going to tell me, oh, they're outstanding citizens. Oh, these are people that we look up to in the community. Oh, they go to church. These are the same people. There's just no way. And to me, that's what makes this situation just incredible. Absolutely right. Thank you for your call and your thoughts on that. Uh, I'll tell you what, this same terminology was not used for the gainers, the alleged victims. Why is that? Common sense truth. And the testimony of Mr. Gaynor, uh, his testimony was absolutely horrendous. So the judge is not going to do that. The definition of criminal is this. Criminal is a popular term used for a person who has committed a crime or has been legally convicted of a crime. Criminal also means being connected with a crime. When certain acts or people are involved in or related to a crime, they are termed as criminal. Can call them a criminal. That's the case. We'll have to call every furniture place in town uh, and tell them that we can no longer pick up furniture. Because they've, they've been deemed criminal. Um, doesn't make any sense. Samson, your thoughts? Well, I mean, just the term, again, going back to the terminologies that were used in the trial itself to try and refer to these gentlemen. And then to hear, like you said, a senior judge come back, look over the exact same evidence. He said he took the time. He read through everything. And to come out and say that, again, these men are pillars in the society, these men are not criminals that they were painted to be by by the prosecution. They're not, you know, the criminals that they were painted to be by the judge, by the gainers, by anybody like that. And the simple fact of the matter is, is um, when you can have somebody on the stand like Nick and Arnisha Gainer, that they will sit there and boldly lie. If you were in the courtroom, you could sit there and look at them and tell just by their posture, by lack of eye contact. You know, any, I mean, if you know, if you've been around talking to people at any length of time, you can tell when somebody's lying. The fact that Nick Gaynor would not look the defense attorneys in the eye when answering a question. Well, look, uh, thank you, Samson, for that. The bottom line is this. Uh, it is what it is. The pillars of the community are, are upstanding citizens. They're kind people. And they're, they're citizens that uh, were done wrong by the law. I mean, if you want to talk about it, it is what it is. Simple. It's simple. 
we have no justice in this country. Nobody likes it that cut and dry. Well, maybe we got something going good. We don't. We don't. It is, until you recognize this is what it is, you're not going to attack it because there's always an excuse of why it is what it is. Well, this happens. Well, that happens. Well, this should not have that's just, just cut through all of it. The facts are this. The system destroys lives every day. It's the bottom line truth. And no matter what type of Band-Aid or covering or blanket you put over it, it's bleeding out. That's what's happening. The system is bleeding out. Ultimately, with a person that bleeds out, they die. The justice system in this country is dead because there's no justice. Go ahead, Tunic. Um, I was just going to say, to echo that point, it's set up for failure. I was shocked when I pulled up some stats that said 90 to 95% of federal cases are resolved through plea deals, and the remaining percent that go to court, to trial, that's the 2 to 5% left over, uh, 90% of those cases, the defendants are found guilty. So people are saying there's no hope. The percentage that's, that's left is literally nothing. Exactly right. And, and I believe there's another fact, too, that in outside the United States, plea deals would get most attorneys disbarred because the whole point is to go through the legal system and to prove your guilt or and innocence. But to take a plea deal is basically saying we're going to circumvent and I'm going to convince you in a backroom deal to basically convince you – say you're guilty because you never get a plea deal to say, hey, then I'm innocent. I mean that just doesn't happen. The plea deals oh, to okay. say well, – What's always guilty. Yeah, it's always – you got to say you're guilty, and then we'll let you – we'll just give you a lesser charge. Oh, they plead to a lesser. Yeah, that's uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Dave? Well, one of the things that we saw while we were in Florence is we met two men, two different cases, with the same judge. They accepted plea deals that were supposed to be probation. Prosecution accepted it. Their attorney accepted it. Probation accepted it. And then the judge turned around and said, not enough time, five years. And, who was that? and this was our judge, too. Wow. So even a plea deal is not a guarantee you're going to get what you were pleading to. It has to be accepted. It has to be accepted by the judge. You understand that? And if a judge says, I had a bad day this morning. Coffee went hot when I left. I'm not accepting it. I would like to. No, go ahead. I could say something. Uh, Judge H. Lee Sarakin uh, wrote up a article on his blog in 2016. He said the guilty have a better chance for parole or pardon than the innocent when he was addressing the IRP6 case. <clears throat> he, and I'll read a little bit that he said that those persons do not face guilty people do not face the dilemma of having to admit guilt in order to receive a pardon or parole because they have already been, or innocent people, because they've already been compelled to lie and admit their guilt. He said, as a result, we have bookends of institutionalized deceit at both ends of our criminal justice system. At either end, the innocent are convicted and coerced into admitting their guilt in order to minimize their terms of imprisonment, although they deserve none at all. This is exactly what was the MO of the prosecutors in 
the four men uh, from the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, in their case, they wanted a plea deal. They didn't deserve any 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 punishment at all. But the prosecutors in the case, uh, to get a win, said that, well, you're going to have to take a plea deal. I know of another guy uh, in the federal system uh, here, here in Colorado. Uh, he had let a guy move into his house. He had got a roommate that, that rented out part of his house. Um, he, uh, that guy was a former veteran. He was selling drugs out of the man's house. Um, so the FBI comes and picks up the individual who rented the house and said that he was involved in drug criminal drug activity. Well, after he questioned the individuals who bought the drugs, they said, no, that's not him. Well, the defense attorney comes back and tells, uh, the owner of the property that was renting out the property that, well, the government's not going to leave. This is the federal government. They're not going to leave empty handed. So you're going to have to take a plea deal. Well, he said, well, they know I didn't do it. He said, yeah, they do know you didn't do it, but they're not going to leave empty handed. They've indicted you. Their pride is on the line. Therefore they're going to give you 10 years. If you don't plead to three years. So they're going to, they're going to railroad you, take you to court just so they can save face from indicting the wrong person. They just, no matter what they do, they can't uh, settle for being, uh, for being wrong uh, or for making a mistake. They're not going to, they're not going to say we made a mistake and wrongly indicted somebody. You're going to have to say that you committed a crime to save us from any embarrassment. That's the, the system of the that's the United States so-called justice system and how how it actually functions. Uh, yeah, the matrix. And David, to your point, if we all remember in, in regards to our case, our attorneys that that were public defenders that were assigned to us, that was the first thing out of their mouth. We want to plead. I said, "Aren't you going to?" I, I told mine, Mitch Baker. I said, "Aren't you going to listen to?" I'm innocent. No, uh, the uh, U.S. attorney, the AUSA, is a fair guy. You might want to talk to him. So again, to your point earlier, Mike, when you open the show, everybody on this corrupt system is in on this, sending people, innocent people, down through the line and just sending them to prison. It's like, are you going to hear? They are not, like you said earlier, they're not interested in about the uh, justice and the law. They just want, as David said, they just want to, they want to win. Just win now first. They weren't probably good athletes, and now I want to win in the courtroom. Sick. And then we get to me, just like they do with police. Well, we need to have better training. You can't train morality. You're either moral or immoral. You either have integrity or you don't have integrity. But you hear it with the police. Well, we got to do a better job of training. No, you don't. They've got. You need to have have them held accountable for their actions, and then uh, that would be the impetus to get them to stop doing some of this. Well, stuff. here's the training, the golden rule. That's the training. Have it posted in all the cards. What, how much more money do we need to invest? Type it out on a computer, print it out, and put it on the dashboard of these cops. Doing a, do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you would have saved George Floyd's life. I don't want nobody's neck on me where I can't breathe. That saves his life. The gentleman in Minnesota, William, what's his name? Orlando Castillo. He's another one. 
Had you done unto this man what you won't done unto you if you were pulled over complying with the law? Well, but you I'll, emptied, but you emptied your clip out on this man. And even uh, you brought up before in the Luana uh, Banks Clark case, they said that she, somebody's going to get some time. You know, I, I, you brought that up. I mean, she went through uh, what was the handwriting expert said that wasn't her. It wasn't her handwriting. wasn't her signature. Wouldn't but, allow it in. And they said, but somebody's going to get some time. Well, what guy? I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, for somebody to say that. So where are the scales of justice? They don't exist. They've been washed away. I believe we have Tori Lopez, one of the Pillar Four, joining us. Tori, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Thank you so much for taking time out your schedule to join us tonight. Um, you, your wife, uh, Mary, uh, and your family roughly affected by this situation in a horrible way. I wanted to give you an opportunity to share that as we go down this road here um, of being accused of something when no crime was committed. Give, give, the, give our listening audience your thoughts and tell your side. Brief in brief. Sure. Well, thanks. First off, thanks for having me on tonight. I uh, appreciate you giving me this opportunity to speak to this. Um, you know, just basically we, you know, the whole situation is, is is just what it was turned into is ridiculous. You know, um, the church being able, you know, reaching out to this family and just showing them an act of, of love, you know, kindness, you know, and, and that got turned into to a, uh, to evil, basically, you know, and, um, you know, it's just they tried to reach out, you know, help this family up, you know, give them a hand up and not a hand out, you know, and then, you know, when when the time came where, you know, we had to go in and, you know, retrieve the furniture, you know, it was it was turned into something, you know, it was criminalized basically, you know, and so for for the church to to be a nonprofit organization, you know, when do you see a nonprofit organization, you know, just giving away twenty five thousand dollars worth of furniture or anything else like that, you know? Um that that really you know, uh, was, 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 was crazy, you know, the whole situation, you know, and, and, you know, it doesn't stop us, you know, from reaching out to other people, you know, uh, trying to help them and other families. I know my family, you know, and, and other situations we were reached out to by, by this church. And, and we, we wanted to always show our gratitude and for someone to do this and, and turn it into something negative. Um, you know, I really, really, really hate that. And, um, you know, just to have this thing over your head for, for a while, um, never knowing, you know, if you can, you know, trust police officers going forward, you know, because uh, you never know if they're going to try to try to twist something. Let me ask you a question, Tori. Uh, how long have you been a member, member of Colorado Springs Fellowship? I've been a member. I'm 42 now. I've been a member since I was about 13 years old. Wow. Have you ever seen anybody... In the course of that time, it's a lifetime, uh, respond to love as this as the gainers did. Never, never, um, not to this level. You know, it's it is ridiculous. I mean, um, for someone, you know, as David mentioned, you know, others had mentioned um, in the other uh, shows prior to this one that you know they were given a vehicle, you know, and 
who 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 does that? You know, who who just get get gets a vehicle to go take their family, do what they need to do, run their business. You know, they're they're you're, you know um, those types of things. But then to get furniture on top of that, knowing that it's not yours, it was a gift. Um, and then just try to try to make the church look bad. You know, that's it's, it's horrible. No, absolutely right. And uh, your years there uh, raised a daughter uh, there. Uh, her, how old is she now, Allie? She's 19 years old. Wow. And to say that we've never seen in all those years your family has been there anyone that would do something like this is it, it's just uncomprehendable. And for again, uh, uh, Kelsey Tibbs to say we're going to sh- we need to shut this church down. Uh, good luck. It's not going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I appreciate you, Tori. Let me ask you one more question. Uh, how has this affected your view of the of the? Again, we don't call it justice system because that's out the window. But how how do you view the system now? <laughs> After going through this, uh, really, it's it's just a joke. Um, you know, you you know, uh, you can't trust. You know, from from my perspective, you know, uh, definitely have a hard time trusting, you know, law enforcement and, you know, um, the just the justice. Well, actually, yeah, you said the injustice system, because um, you you can't put your trust in them, um, you know, because they'll they'll twist things and make it make it go their way because they're really just out for a win, you know, and so they really don't care about the people or their families or things that they go through, you know. It's just about you know, having that number, having that win under their belt. And, um, you know, it, it, it's so sad, to be honest with you. Okay. Well, thank you, Tori, for taking the time with us this evening uh, to share a little bit more. Did you have anything else you wanted to say? Uh, just really just wanted to say thank you guys for what you guys are doing, um, you know, bringing awareness to this type of thing. Um, you know, it's, you know, God only knows how many people are actually going through this every single day, you know, that, that we never hear about, you know, and, and for someone to have, you know, for you guys to be the voice for the voiceless, um, I, I really appreciate it and hope it helps other people to, you know, um, at least be aware of what's going on in, in, in this, uh, this so-called system, justice system. Absolutely. Thor, thanks so much for your time. Good luck to you and your family. You guys Thank get through this. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. We got one caller. We're going to come take a quick break, come back to that caller. Uh, Nina has something to say to this conversation. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say the prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true, tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. 
Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit CSRXP.org. I've been getting mixed messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitude towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Kevin Sage, and I'm afraid I'll be killed by police. Not all police, just one police officer who fears first life and thinks I have a gun. I'm afraid I'll match the description of someone who called 911. The police will arrive, and before I know it, I'll be dead. Not all cops are bad, but for me, all it takes is one who is afraid for his life, and that leaves me dead. He could have had a pristine record up until that, but if he's afraid that day, that means it's the end for me. He could have been a bad cop his whole entire career and not be afraid. That means the end for me. I used to think this wouldn't happen to me because I'm a law-abiding citizen. I won't ever be doing anything or be anywhere I shouldn't be. I'll comply with officers, but that doesn't always seem to be the case. Here's some examples of what black people were doing when they were killed by police. Selling CDs outside of a supermarket, selling cigarettes outside of a corner store, walking home with a friend, missing a front license plate, riding a commuter train, holding a fake gun in a park in Ohio, holding a fake gun in a Walmart in Ohio, holding a fake gun in Virginia, Calling for help after a car accident, driving with a broken brake light, failing to signal a lane change, walking away from police, walking toward police, running to the bathroom in your apartment building, walking up the stairwell of your apartment building, sitting in your car before your bachelor party, holding your wallet, not wearing a seatbelt in police custody, attending a birthday party, laughing. The thing that makes me most afraid is I'll be afraid. I don't know what I'll do if a police officer has a gun pointed at me and is shouting instructions. I'm afraid I'll move too fast, too slow, not fast enough. I'll reach for something he asked me to reach for, and he'll think it's a gun. I'm afraid I won't be calm, and me not being calm could be the end of me. I'm afraid that I can die in front of my wife or children or both. I'm afraid my children will be somewhere without me and suffer the same fate. I'm afraid the police officer will be in plain clothing so they won't even recognize that this is a police officer and they don't respect him and treat him like the authority he is because they don't know he is. And here's what's going to happen if I die. People will comment on a post about me and here's what they'll say. If he would have just done this, he would be alive today. If he would have just done that, he'd be alive today. All you have to do is listen to police and you'll be fine. If he would have just listened to the officer's orders, he'd be here today. If you care so much, why don't you care about what's happening in Chicago? What about black-on-black crime? Don't you care about that? The media will find the worst picture of me to use. And since I don't have any brushes with the law or mugshots, they'll find the most menacing or intimidating photo they can use. They won't use any of my wife or children or my family because that doesn't tell the story that they want to tell. Tammy Lauren will get on TV and tell them it was my fault or Glenn Beck or Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh will get on the radio. Fox News will have a field day with me. They'll say, we don't have all the facts. The video doesn't clearly show. You don't know. What if he was? It looked like he was. You can't tell clearly. We can't see what's in his right hand or left hand. You don't know what the officers were feeling. They already won't protect me or protect my death, even if I say I'm a licensed gun owner and I tell the police officer that when he pulls me over. The video will be posted all over the internet in a matter of seconds, and whether or not you want to see it, you will see my dead body lying on the ground or a video of an officer shooting me or me dying live on Facebook. And then people will say it's not about
race. We're all one people. All lives matter. And then life will go on. That's the scariest thing. After a while, life will go on. The officers may or may not get arrested. More than likely, they won't be convicted. More than likely, they won't even be indicted. And before you can totally mourn my death, it'll happen again. That's why I'm afraid. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corpsman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as AJC Radio, again, continues to uncover the system for what it is. Uh, what is that? It's a non-existing system of justice uh, that is missing, critically missing, uh, from our criminal justice system in this country. We have elected to remove the word justice uh, because of what we have seen. It has been a horrible uh, turn of events, not only here in the Colorado case, but the Phil of Four, the RP5. Um, one of Banks Clark, a casualty of injustice that was taken too soon from us, uh, passed away in 2018. And it is my belief. That the injustice levied upon her cost her her life. That being said, you honestly think we have a choice other than to call this out. There are people filling prisons in alarming numbers in this country because the system has failed. Um, it's uncomprehendable. Clint, your thoughts on that? I think it is uncomprehendable. People of the United States definitely need to take a look at this system uh, because of the things that it's capable of. I mean, when you have all of this being stimulated by, we were talking before, on plea deals that result in these situations. It, it, anytime that a prosecutor extends a plea deal, he takes the power of 
judge, jury, and executioner. So the Constitution is obviated in that case. So it becomes a theory. We don't have any rights under the Constitution. It's all a plea deal, and it's just it's not justice no. at all. No, it's not. I have to share this story uh, that speaks to what we're talking about tonight. Man in prison for 44 years on rape charges is released after judge rules he didn't get a fair trial. Louisiana man in prison for more than 44 years on charges of attempted aggravated rape that he has long denied was released from prison on Monday. And the charges were vacated after a judge ruled that he did not get a fair trial decades ago. Vincent Simmons, a 69-year-old black man, was convicted by nearly an all-white jury in 1977 and sentenced to 100 years in prison for the attempted sexual assault of 14-year-old twin sisters Karen and Sharon Sanders in Marksville, Louisiana. Simmons, who had previously tried about 16 times to get a new trial, earned a hearing after CBS News reported that key pieces of evidence were not shared with the original defense team, including testimony from the doctor who examined the teens and found no sign of sexual assault on either of them. Also withheld was evidence that indicated the white girls initially told police they didn't know who assaulted them, saying that all black people look alike. Because of that, Judge Bill Bennett freed Simmons from Angola State Penitentiary and ordered a new trial because of evidence that was not turned over to the man's original uh, original attorneys. After the district attorney announced he would not retry Simmons, the Louisiana man was declared a free man days before his 70th birthday. I find that the time limitations have been overcome by the allegations of new evidence and in the interest of justice. Bennett said, nothing he expressed, no opinion on whether Simmons was guilty or innocent. Paris District Attorney Charles Riddle III said in a statement shared with the Washington Post that although there was sufficient evidence to find Vincent Simmons guilty, that's a lie, he did not want the victims to undergo the trauma of another trial. What victims after 44 years, because what would have happened? The statement made by the alleged victims was that all black people look alike. So what does that mean? We attempted to free him months ago because he has served enough time, Riddle wrote. Let this case be put to bed and the victims free from suffering again. As he exited the prison Monday, Simmons said God was the reason he kept faith that he would be released. God kept hope alive in me, he said, according to the KALB television station. God did this for me today. Justin Bonus, one of Simmons' attorneys, told the Washington Post that he was relieved his client was released. He argued that the district attorney choosing not to retry Simmons was equivalent to an acquittal. Finally, the court gave him justice, Bonus said. In May 1977, Karen and Sharon Sanders gave statements to the police saying Simmons encountered them with their 18-year-old cousin, Keith Laborde, at a gas station asking for a ride and then demanding that the four go down to an isolated dirt road and park. Once there, the girls alleged that Simmons forced uh, Laborde into the trunk while he raped them and left them in the trunk of the car, threatening retaliation if they spoke about what had happened. And we're going to comment on this here momentarily, folks. The girls spoke with police two weeks later describing a violent, disturbing encounter. Sharon said she bled, and Karen and Simmons pointed a knife at her. However, medical records, which were not provided to the defense by prosecutors, 
According to Simmons, say the girls were not bruised. The jury of 11 white men and one black woman never saw the reports or learned of the girls' initial descriptions of their attacker as an indistinguishable black man. The jury quickly convicted Simmons. In the 1998 documentary, The Farm, Angola, USA, Simmons appealed to the parole board, saying the evidence he had discovered while in prison proved his innocence. But the Sanders sisters prevailed and his petition was denied. We didn't have none of this evidence, he told the board. None of this evidence was presented before the jury, the DA, and in its file, and testified before the jury that they was brutally raped. Former District Attorney Eddie Knoll said in court documents that he gave the defense access to his file. The sisters, now 59, did not immediately respond to requests for comment. The twins who have maintained that Simmons is guilty explained to KALB why they agreed to Riddle's dismissal of the attempted rape charges. Sharon Sanders, they have had enough of dealing with the case. We got 44 years. We're happy with that. Retired. We want it behind us, Karen Sanders said. He went in guilty. He's still guilty, and he'll die guilty, she added. We got our 44 years. Praise God. That is absolute. That shows you that these people are absolutely sick, and they are depraved. For a prosecutor to say, once a conviction's been overturned, that the man, there was, he didn't receive a fair trial, uh, for her to say we got 44 years and he's guilty irrespective of anything it's just not true but look at the attitude of the prosecutor this isn't the first prosecutor that said that we've heard him it's been reported and i'll look up some of that stuff for for upcoming shows well if he didn't do that crime if he's not guilty of this crime he's guilty of something so he should have went to prison this is a prosecutor so it shows you the attitude and the ethos and the overall just depraved mentality of these people in the justice system. But it's the, but we still promote it as the best justice in the world. It's just insanity. And for this man, 44 years and remained declaring that he was innocent. I didn't do this. I cannot tell you the tragedy. The years this man lost with his family, if he had kids, what he lost, his parents, if they, if he lost them during this time, this is the sickest, most cruel system that one can ever imagine. They can ever imagine it. Madison. Yeah, I just sit here and like the only victim I can actually see in this entire scenario is actually Mr. Simmons. You mean you, you get you get professional medical opinions that said these girls were not assaulted. You got two alleged victims that say, oh, all all black people look alike. The only crime that this man is even guilty of is riding with white people while black. Seriously, that's the only thing he's guilty of. The fact of the matter is that that he's he's imprisoned for the vast majority of his life based on lies, based on lies. But that's okay because there were 11 white people and one black lady on the jury that did it. Tanik, your thoughts – I, I have go ahead. Ahead. No, I was going to say I have so many emotions right now I'm sick to my stomach I'm mad I'm sad when you think of this man like you said his whole life I'm 45 so that's since I've been one years old he's been in prison and I'm still stuck on the statement basically all black people look alike so how do you put so that means I could just be walking down the street and somebody say oh it was a black female that robbed me so it was to me because all black people look alike it's just it's sickening so this man 
you're in prison for a crime you didn't commit. You got a corrupt system, corrupt uh, prosecutor, uh, these lying girls that said they were raped when they're not, and then a, ju- a jury that's racist. I mean, it, it, how do you convict somebody with no evidence? Well, I'm just, I don't even have, I don't have words to say. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, here's the problem. You have an all-white jury minus one. During those times, what threats were made to that African-American juror? If you vote against, they will kill you. Make no mistake about it. So, and how do you put a jury like all white men and one woman and she's black? What was the conversation in the jury room? Well, you have that one black woman on there so that you can say, oh, that you really can't a, know, no, but that's that's their excuse to be able to say, well, they had a black person on the jury and she convicted, too. That well, was, was all for what show. Was, and what was the error of the country right there, right then? Was she equally treated as an African-American? No, she was absolutely in, not. She wasn't even in the courtroom. I mean, in the jury. Room. She, <laughs> it would, it, I tell you what, if she went into the jury room with that. I can promise you one thing. She never said one word. Because she would actually be messed up. We're going to take some calls in succession. Uh, William, we're going to get to you and to our hosts here that want to comment further. Right now, let's bring Michelle on. Hi. Um, I'm really glad that you guys are talking about this subject. I think this whole thing with the cops and the corrupt things they're doing, I was listening to David's story about that man. They know he's innocent, and they're going to still make him do at least three years. About this is a sad reflection of our society. People don't care about anybody anymore. I don't know my neighbor, and I don't care. That's why, to me, as a society, there's not more of an outcry against the corruption in the police department and in the court system. Um, I'm really glad that you brought up the issue with the um, the four guys that uh, um, the pillars of our community. They are absolutely pillars of this community, and I'm glad that the judge said it. He said it right. Um, I wish them well, and that uh, this uh, appeal goes through. Because it's wrong. And until we start um, as a society crying out and, and, and not stopping until something changes, we can make a change in this country if we had enough of will of the people to do it. And uh, I thank you for your time, and I appreciate you guys addressing this issue. It's a serious one. And thank you for your call, Michelle. Nina, let's bring her on. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, you have a comment regarding the show tonight? I do. Thank you for uh, taking my call. I just wanted to make a comment in regards to uh, the four guys, the four pillars. I listened to last week's show as well as tonight's show, and it is just unbelievable, the outcome. And I'm I'm so happy that it's refreshing to know that it was a positive outcome for the guys. Typically, you don't see that. Just as you've discussed other cases, you're already proven guilty when you haven't even been given a chance or an opportunity just based on what you look like, what people think. It's totally wrong. So I just wanted to make a comment and say that uh, it was very refreshing to hear what happened to the guys. Uh, I applaud the judge for taking time to speak with each one. And um, I'm hoping the best for everybody. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for your comment, Nina. And listen to this. If you're starting, if you're thinking about starting a family as an African-American, 
one of every three African-American children, men, will be, will be in prison. They've already clocked their ticket. They've already stamped their ticket. So if you have three kids, they've already packed one of them to go to the penitentiary. Do you understand what I just said? They've already packed. And the one hasn't even been born yet. Do you know how sick that is? Your thoughts, Demetrius? As Denise said, it, it, I'm furious to know what you just said. Get, let that sink in. If you have three boys in an African-American family, one is destined America as a whole should stand up and say this is not a black man is six to seven times more likely to be convicted for something he did not do. That is just. That's a sore evil mind that I cannot get my mind around for you to say one out of three. That's those are facts. These are not numbers that are contrived. They are facts. And the reason you say they're already packed. Because those are the statistics. Right. So when you bring little Johnny home, you got Johnny, Michael, this one. One of them is already standing at the door because they're going to prison. They're going to prison. Let's bring Donna June, Donna June on. Can Donna you hear June, me okay? are you with us? Yes. Can you hear me okay? Yes. You had a comment? Yes. Um, first of all, I have to sit down every time I listen to this show because I'm shaking. It's very, very upsetting how there's absolutely no justice to hold justice system that should just be called justice. I mean, or system, I mean, there's absolutely none that you can see uh, as far as justice. I, I heard a little bit ago um, somebody said that uh, they want more police training. What's the point of more police training if nothing is going to change? If they're going to keep doing their job and say, oh, okay, well, sorry, we picked the wrong person, but we're not going to go empty-handed, so we're still going to make you go to jail even though we know it's not you. What's the point of, literally, think about that, training police so you can do more wrong? You know what would be justice is if the people that send them to jail, let's say they send them for 10 years, that the same people will be sent to jail for 10 years if you send the wrong people, you know, to jail. Then they'll be, maybe they'll stop and say, well, maybe we need to make sure that we're getting the right people. Like, how, how do you want, how is it that you would want people to take a plea deal because you're not doing your job and you, you don't have the, the want to, to catch the wrong, you know, the right, wrong people. And I also heard a shut down you know, the church. Like, why would you want to shut down a good place? There's enough bad places out there. Catch them. We need a good place to stay put. Sorry, I'm Absolutely. really, really shaking. I'm trying to calm no, no. down. No, you're so. fine. Uh, your passion is noted and should be. Um, I'll tell you what, folks. The stories here are not Hollywood productions. These are people's lives. Uh, we heard the passion from Liz P. a couple weeks ago and the impact 
what has happened has had on her family. You've heard from Nisi Jenkins the impact of her family. This gentleman, 44 years. They use the term in prison calendars. When you've gone through a calendar year, they'll say, man, I've, man, I've, been, I've been through 10 calendars. I've done five calendars. I've done 20 calendars. 44 calendars. For the innocent. Never committed a crime. The RP5, eight calendars. Eight birthdays. Eight Christmases. Eight absences from their families every year. Eight years? Innocent. Pillar four. Two years. Going back and forth. And the crime? Loving kindness. This is IJC Radio. We'll be right back. I wish I was in school. If only I had a math test today. Or a book report to give. I wish I was in school. I'll stay after class. I'll clean the chalkboard. I'll do extra homework. I'll skip recess. I wish I was in school. I wish I was in school. I really wish I was in school. School ends. But free lunches for your kids don't have to. Find your local food bank at feedingamerica.org slash summer meals for help. Together, we're Feeding America. Let me tell you who to blame. Blame the boy lying at your feet, his body oozing life through the hole in his stomach where the bullet tore him apart. Blame him for challenging you for not looking away and for not backing down when you pulled out the gun. Blame your mother for bringing you into this world when she was but a kid herself and for dragging you up, not bringing you up. Blame society for not giving you hope. Blame your father for not being there, the man who looked after himself instead of looking after you. Blame the gun in your hand for making you a target, for making you more likely to be picked off. Blame the dead boy, blame your mother, blame society, blame your father, blame the gun, blame anyone but yourself for not being strong enough to put down the gun, to break the cycle. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. 
the number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America as compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again. To over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. Ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we are talking about a system that has lost her way. The more you talk about the injustice of this country, the more outraged you become. AJC Radio, Just Cause Organization, is in the fight to expose such misconduct of a system. It is critical that the conversation be had. 
Let's bring Liz on. I think she has a comment or a question. Hear me? Liz, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. You had a question or comment for the show? Yes, I had a comment. Uh, with the opening remark you made about they wanted to shut the church down, that really enraged me because this church has been a true definition of what the heartbeat of loving kindness is throughout the community. So that's why the pillars were recognized because they came from the church. So it really enrages me that someone would want to shut down the church. This church has reached out and showed so much kindness toward seniors, toward the military, uh, students, policemen. It's, it's incomprehensible how someone would want to shut it down. So I just wanted to say it really bothers me. If only that DA knew all that this church has done over years in this community, I think they would realize they made a big Big mistake. Thank you for well, taking my call. And thank you, Liz, for your comment and your passion. Look, this the DA is not in the dark on what this what this church has done in this community. Police department is not in the dark. They sat down and ate breakfast and lunch and dinner at the outreach of this church, the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, Pastor Rose Banks. There are no secrets. There are no hidden places here to say, well, we can claim ignorance. You can't. The one point of ignorance you can claim is the ignorance of racism and bias. We'll give you that one. But ignorance to the facts? Not the case. Kendrick, your thoughts? This is just uh, the thing is anybody that's deceived that there is still like a justice system and that's called a legal system is is I mean you're in a, in a in your own universe because my problem with the statement about we need to shut this church down is you're speaking this as an agent of the government so when you say that that's the government's talking because you you have to if you're a prosecutor you work for taxpayer People. money. You work for the people, and you represent the city or district that you're in. When you make a statement like that, you just can't make – that's not a light statement as some random citizen saying that. You're speaking at that point for this government, and you're, and you're showing the views of what they feel because what are you talking about in your office? Why does this church need to be shut down? What did it do? So you're trying to put a hit, send a message by making up a crime. And convicting four of its uh, parishioners for what end? Because secretly you want to shut it down because it's doing just too much good in the community to knock down some pillars. And then what else? You're going to – these pillars, you don't know how much they're holding back something that could be worse. And these men are here doing good. And you're trying to knock down a pillar. When you knock down a pillar, you take down a foundation. You Then you're left with something worse. Well, you damage your community. You could destroy a community by these actions. Well, we have Cynthia on the line. Cynthia, are you with us? I am. Go ahead. Uh, first of all, I wanted to say thank you so much for having me. Uh, <laughs> I am really upset because I'm thinking about Colorado Springs 
Colorado is a small city, but just for the fact of just me alone in the, in the church that we're in, four different instances, that they, they have accused law-abiding citizens who have been wrongfully accused. And just the fact that all of these members that they are accusing happen to be members of the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. So for one, I've been there for going on 30 years, over 30 years, and I have seen nothing but good. And I, I tell people often when I meet others that it totally changed my life. So for someone, a court system that is fighting against a church that's only there for the good, that totally frustrates me and makes me angry because that kind of stuff, it's like we got enough evil going on in the world. Why try to tear down something good? Thank you. That's all I have to say. No, absolutely right. Uh, thank you for your calls, Cynthia. And I believe we have Gwen on the line. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, Gwen. Thank you for calling us. This is the attorney Lawson, if I'm if I'm correct. Correct. That is correct. All right. Your thoughts of what we're talking about? You're definitely uh, at the front lines of this here. So uh, talk to our listeners. Well, I had a couple of comments, if I could, and I'll try to get through them. Um, one of them was um, when you do a, a plea agreement, from what I'm noticing um, as just being in my history or profession, the district attorney, especially in this case, um, Jordan Welch, had uh, made an agreement that if he found anything in the transcript uh, that would exonerate these gentlemen, uh, that he would be willing to entertain that, but I see that words um, don't mean anything right now. He stated that um, Michael Allen, which is the chief DA, had his hands tied as far as enforcing um, a plea agreement. And the judge yesterday had mentioned the Alfred plea, and I did propose that to Mr. Welch about an you know, Alfred plea is when you state that you know that you didn't commit a crime, but you still accept the plea. Uh, and it's like a no contest. You're not entering a guilty plea. And when I brought that to his attention, because on the arrest warrant, it stated that the gentleman, um, they were charged with tampering. And uh, the gentleman stated that they did not have anything to do with tampering, that they did not know that a locksmith was there. They did not know the locksmith that was there changing the locks. The church was the one that authorized the locksmith to be there. The district attorney uh, refused an Alfred plea when the judge had even mentioned, um, are you wanting to enter an Alfred plea? And the district attorney said no. He wanted to enforce either a plea of them stating that they actually did this crime or, um, or go to trial, which is a threat. And that's why you have so many people today that are in jail incarcerated for wrongs for crimes that are not committed and when I looked on I looked on the um, the district attorney website which really profounded me because it's supposed to be about justice regardless it's not supposed to be about prosecution it's supposed to be about what is the truth and it says that their vision is we will be leaders in fair and effective prosecution and innovative justice pro justice programs which is totally untrue and it says as far as the integrity, they hold themselves to the highest ethical standards of professional and personal conduct. Forcing someone to take a plea when you know you don't have evidence of a crime, to me, tarnishes somebody's integrity. So I'm just really concerned about that and wanted to mention that. 
No, no, no. We appreciate that, Gwen. Uh, Attorney Lawson, uh, we appreciate that. And David, go ahead. Well, it sounds like uh, Michael Allen is the driver behind this particular plea agreement. Uh, the elected DA uh, is the one behind it. Obviously, uh, Mr. Welch has to uh, must have, must always push the wishes of the elected DA. He really didn't have a choice because the decision uh, is really not his. Uh, Michael Allen, uh, DA Allen's name is on every document that goes out, and the buck stops with him. And with that, David, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Welch did begin to try uh, to work together with uh, Attorney Lawson, uh, and, you know what I mean, early on. But again, his 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 reach is limited of what he can and cannot do, to your point, uh, to the elected DA. Uh, so we want, we want to make sure that, that's made perfectly clear as well. Okay, we got another caller, Yolanda. All right, Yolanda, are you with us? Yolanda, are you with us? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm here. Okay, go ahead. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes. yes. Thank you so much for the show. Um, I just wanted to make a comment in regards to the police department and the sheriff's department. When they had a need and could not come together to bring the community together, who did they call on? Colorado Springs Fellowship for Let's Talk. You know, when it fits their needs, um, they reach out. But when it comes to telling the truth, then they back away as if, you know, um, Colorado Springs has not been a pillar in this community. And it has been from day one. And so those are the things that, that get me with this Colorado Springs community is because it's so unjust. The only thing that they care about is their own agenda, you know. And thank you again for allowing me to speak. I know. Thank you for your call. We appreciate that. Um, wow. Um, what do you say? Uh, all the callers that are passionate, they're, uh, they're addressing their concerns that, look, what is going on here? A huge problem uh, with this system in this. In, if you can imagine if this, but this is a culture problem. That is why culture is the, is the fastest spreading problem train that you'll ever find. And once the train and the the culture rather is affected, it's iron as brass. How do you penetrate culture? It is just as common as breathing to the folks that's locked in this system. We're coming right back with our closing statements. In regards to this show, as we continue to pull the cover back on a system that has lost her way. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Let's just be honest. When we look across the street to the Supreme Court and we see equal justice under law, um, when you have drug laws so severely, disparately enforced, against some groups, let's, let's take African-Americans, for example, there's no difference between black and white marijuana usage or marijuana sales, in fact. But blacks are about 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for it. 
African Americans are more likely to get uh, mandatory minimums, are more likely about 13 to get 13% longer sentences, and it's created these jagged disparities in incarceration. In my state, blacks are about 13, 14% of the population. They make up over 60% of the prison population. And remember, the overall majority of people we arrest in America are nonviolent offenders. Now you've got this, this disparity in the arrest, but that creates disparities that painfully fall all along the system. When you get arrested uh, for possession with intent to sell, do it in inner city, now you're within a school zone. So now you have facing even higher mandatory minimum. Now you're 19 years old, with a felony conviction, possession, and intent to sell in a school zone. Forget even all that. If you just have a felony conviction for possession, what do you face now? Thousands of collateral consequences that will dog you for the rest of your life. You can't get a Pell Grant. You can't get business licenses. You can't get a job. You're hungry, can't get food stamps. Uh, you need some place to live, you can't even get public housing. And what that does is created within our country concentrated areas where you have massive levels of men being incarcerated. You create a caste system in which people feel like they, there's no way out. And we're not doing anything as a society like we know we could do, because there's tons of pilot programs that show if you help people when they are coming back from a nonviolent offense, that their recidivism rates go dramatically down. If you don't help them, what happens is left with limited options, many people make a decision to go back into that world of, of narcotics sales. Uh, uh, what's more dangerous to society? Someone smoking marijuana in the privacy of their own home or somebody going 30 miles over the speed limit, racing down a road in, in a community? What is more dangerous to society? But yet that teenager who makes a mistake for doing things the last three presidents admitted to doing, now they have a felony conviction because it's more likely they're going to get caught. And for the rest of their life, they're 29, 39, 49, 59, they're still paying for a mistake they made as a teenager. Now, that's not the kind of society uh, that I believe in, nor is it fiscally responsible. Nor, it's undermining their productivity, undermining their ability to take care of their family. This is so wrong that those conversations that I'm having with conservatives as well as uh, Democrats uh, are resonating. And so when you have people like Rand Paul standing up and talking about racial disparities in incarceration, this convergence and understanding uh, of fiscal conservatives, of Christian conservatives, of libertarians, shows me that this is a time of great hope for our country. And so I'm not going to question people's motives. This is one of those issues like the civil rights movement in the 1960s, which should pull all Americans together to say enough is enough. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. And uh, I'll tell you right now, folks, this is something that is catching fire. Uh, there's a lot of heat going on in the Paso County District Court uh, regarding some very uh, questionable decisions that have happened in this state. Uh, but I, I'll tell you right now, in Paso County, we talked about the case regarding the, the, the Pillar 4 uh, that were done so tremendously wrong 
uh, and pro- prosecuted, wrongfully convicted in this community. But there was something that was left behind. His name is Chief Bain. I came in and talked to Chief, excuse me, Chief Judge Bain, came in and spoke to what I believe a situation that was crystal clear done wrong. Uh, as a chief judge, the things that Chief Bain has seen, uh, it would speak volumes to who and the character and the man was and is today uh, that presides over the court. Uh, our hats are continually off to the judge uh, because we have seen something that has set precedence. It's not something we've seen. What sets precedence? The fact of the matter is that defendants can be brought into a courtroom innocent, found guilty by a jury, and exactly why is that? Because the system is flawed and the system has failed. There are backroom things happening in the judicial process that the average person knows nothing about. Knows nothing about. We have a case which is going to be with the Pillar 4 that's going to be heard by the appellate court. How is it that the jury, and we're going to get into this next week, how is a jury tainted by the actions of one juror where the jury has said in their own words, we are freaked out. What do we do? We are stressed here. How do we perform our duty now? And Judge Erin Soko ignores this. She looks the other way. While a jury hangs in the balance to render judgment in a very questionable mental state. Unacceptable. Why was that not addressed? Why did the judge look the other way? Why wasn't there was a why was not there a concern of the state of mind of these jurors? Doesn't make sense. The normal protocol is to order a immediate mistrial and start it again. What was it about this judge, Aaron Sokol, that refused to do the right thing in her court that forced her to recuse herself from any further actions in this case? Judges don't recuse. Judges don't say I got it wrong. Most don't. Most judges do not operate under integrity and honor. Judge Chief Chief Judge Bain did. All these questions. Why wasn't it allowed that the jury would see the pictures of the furniture that were in the apartment, the corporate apartment of Colorado Springs Fellowship Church? Why not? Is it that the jury would say, oh, my goodness, look at all that was done to this family and render a not guilty verdict? How is it that that information is not allowed in the courtroom? How is it that two attorneys, Gwen Lawson 
Attorney Bernard Kleiman, how do they get attacked from the bench by this judge, Aaron Sokol? Stand by, ladies and gentlemen. Next week, we dig into all of this. This is AJC Radio signing off. Good night, America. Until next time, good night.